We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. If you hear a little pep in my step and my voice, it's because I feel great today. I, I think I'm completely over the sickness now, or not not completely, but damn close. That's what a good night's sleep will do. I knew it was just needed. I needed sleep. Um, I did aid it a little bit with Tylenol PM. I don't know if I don't think I'm going to try that again tonight. You really shouldn't have those things too often, but hopefully I can sleep without it because. Getting close to 100%, which is good. I'm excited. Giants training camp is almost here. Let's start off with an exciting note, at least for me, Nick. The Giants announced today as the NFL rules have changed. So for a while, the NFL had a rule where they could only you could only have one game a year, I think it was, or up to two games a year where you could use throwback jerseys, and they had to be the same helmet because they wanted it, quote-unquote, for player safety, assuming when you get fitted for different helmets, it's not as safe because you're playing with a different helmet you're not used to. They've since scrapped that rule. So the Giants are bringing back the old school 80s jerseys, like the Parcells years, Parcells Belichick years, 80s jersey, dark blue helmet with the big Giants word with the underline written across my favorite. Those old school jerseys, little red in them, red, little blue, red in them. So I'm excited to see these jerseys. Hopefully the Giants can make them look good, but these are some damn good looking jerseys. Oh, dude, they slap. Love these jerseys. I'm excited to see this, and I'm glad that they did away with that rule. But I got to say, Dan, and I know I've made this stand on Twitter several different times, big fan of the red jerseys. I and knew I you are going to come back to the red. <laughs> Reds are not that good. I'm a big fan of the red jerseys. I wish the Giants didn't suck so bad. You like the red so over these jerseys and over the whites from last year? Over the, the... I, I might. I oh. might, you know? Yeah, oh. I'm a big red jersey guy. I don't know with what it gross is about. the NY on the helmet, or at least give me the Giants with the underline. Everyone knows the Giants with the underline is better than the NY, right? Honestly, when it comes to that, I mean, I, I think I prefer probably the Giants with the underline, but I'm not as defiantly 
sure about that as it seems like you are like I, I could prefer either of those, but just in terms of the jersey, and I only think the red jersey should be worn once a year. That is not something you can wear twice a year. It's a once-a-year event, and I hope they do bring those back. But I hope they can actually win some freaking football games because the track record with those red jerseys aren't all that great. But I am excited about these ones. These ones clap as well. Yeah, I wonder how much of people's hate for those red jerseys is because the Giants' record has been so bad in them or how much because it looks, for me, I think it looks like, close to crap like i'm just not on with you on this and i don't like the red at all it's not giants to me i don't want to see the giants trotting out in red even with those blue helmets it just looks so weird to me i don't know just not for me but i do think some of the hate is because they've been bad at them yeah absolutely and that makes sense the giants lost a lot of football games in them well hopefully they can start winning football games in any jersey i really don't care which ones they are but today we're going to talk about the giants linebackers Obviously not the edge guys, because we've already done that. But before we do that, I wanted to touch on a little bit of what Joe Shane said a little bit earlier this week, which is interesting to me. Just because I think our expectation, Nick, is that even heading into next year and the year after, the Giants are gonna be aren't gonna be like the Gettleman era Giants, where there's gonna be a solder contract and there's gonna be then a Bradbury and a you know a Blake Martinez and a random Omame for like a decent contract. Like the free agency, I would assume we were thinking it was more along the lines of there'll be a Glowinski here, Glowinski there, you know, maybe one big young guy at some point, but not until they start to roll, especially at the quarterback position. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case because it didn't, sa- or at least from what Joe Shane said publicly, it sounded like he wanted to spend more in free agency if he had the opportunity. Shane said, could we have done better this offseason? Yeah. If we had $40 million in cap space? Yeah. With what we had, I think we executed a plan. We were able to upgrade the roster with the resources we had. Shane uh, said, uh, went into free agency. We have to take a calculated approach, and he did that with only big contracts being Glowinski, three years, 18.3, and Tyrod, two years, 11. Um, though part of that $11 million for Tyrod, I believe, is like incentive-based. He also went on to say he's going to be a nervous wreck during training camp. That was just more along the lines of like cutting the guys from 90 to 32 and things of that nature. But... Here's my question for you on the on the uh, free agency front. Do you think this is any indication of what things will happen in the future? Because we've already gone over it in the past on a podcast like three weeks ago. For those of you who missed it, uh, we talked about the giant salary cap situation, which becomes insanely healthy starting next offseason. And over the 2023 and 2024 season, there, a case can be made. The Giants have either the best, the second healthiest, or the third healthiest at worst cap situation moving forward. Of course, as we said then, That's not like a be-all, end-all. It doesn't mean you're locked into the greatest team ever in the future. (laughs) Having a good, healthy cap situation usually, I mean, it's partially because you don't have a lot of young guys signed at the contract long-term, but it does give you flexibility, and maybe it might lead to a situation, Nick, where it makes a little bit more sense for what Shane said to actually come true, or look, if I had more money, I would have spent it. Do you feel, how do you feel about these comments? Well, I think he wanted the opportunity to spend it, but the Giants were just so tight this last year that he did not, he was not afforded that whatsoever. And also, you got to look at what the Giants did with their own roster, things that Shane didn't want to do. He didn't want to kick the cap can down on the Dory Jackson, but he was forced to do that. And then he also, I'm sure, didn't want to let go of James Bradbury, but he was forced to do that as well. And now he goes and signs with Philadelphia. And you're talking about one injury in training camp for the cornerback spot. And damn, you are up, you know, Craps Creek without a paddle. It's going to be really, really tough for the Giants to overcome even one injury to the cornerback spot, specifically on the outside. So I think in terms of your question, 
I think the Giants will be spenders. I think they're going to spend on the people that they know or the people that they like and the people that they're sure will come into the building, fit their system and fit their culture. Anytime you assume a new role as a general manager, come in, new front office, and you have the kind of situation that Joe Shane inherited, you're probably going to be a little bit jaded about that. Yeah, of course. And that makes sense for sure. Look, it wasn't ideal for him, but he's doing a good job of cleaning it out. And you know, they're in a better spot right now than they've been in a long time. And that, again, they still need to find talent. They still need to extend talent. But I just feel really good about where it, you can, it's hard to not feel great about where. Of course, I know. Look, I'm not sitting here and saying it's hard to not feel great about the Giants right now. It's going to be it's the opposite for me. It'll be hard for me to feel great about the Giants until I see massive improvements at the quarterback position. That could be Jones or it could be somebody else. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying who it has to be. Just. I need to see much better quarterback play on a consistent basis because that's what the NFL is all about. But it is good to feel like you're going in the right direction. you got a modern guy running the ship. you got somebody who understands positional value, understands scarcity, isn't making these like knee-jerk moves like, oh, my God, I need a corner. Let's use a supplemental pick on Sam Beal when no one's going to use that pick. Oh, my God, I need a tackle. And an alignment. Uh, Omahame, uh, Solder, uh, Jonathan Stewart. Like, it's not like we're seeing these knee-jerk moves anymore. And to me, that's important. And it shows that we're becoming that team that follows the right blueprint. There is no right blueprint. I, I don't want to say that, I guess, Nick, because the Rams have kind of proved that. But following a blueprint that at least has proven to work for some franchises, the Ravens, the Eagles, things of that nature. And I think what Shane did this offseason, he, he maximized and did the most with what he had. I mean, bringing in guys like Mark Lewinsky, even on a three-year, $18 million deal, I think feel like that's a home run. And Mark Lewinsky, he's not you know the best guard in the league or anything like that, but he is just a starting-level guard, and that's what the Giants needed on their offensive line. And then just you know supplementing that with depth, like even Max Garcia. Max Garcia, Dan, he might not make the team. He, he realistically might not make this team, but the fact that Joe Shane found guys like him and Jamil Douglas and players like that, it gives me a good feeling about the future just because he's really putting a focus on addressing the biggest vulnerability of the 2021 Giants. And that's just finding bodies for the offensive line. And then they can compete and the cream can rise to the top. Yeah, you nailed it, Nick. It's like not only is he doing things from a, a good perspective uh, blueprint wise, but it's also like one thing we've always asked for and we're getting, we're finally getting it competition on the offensive line. I know it's not like Cowboys level of, or Eagles level. I get it. Look, it's going to take time to build that up. Those teams have been using a lot of capital on the offensive line forever, but this was a really good start. He didn't have much to work with and found the Glowinski, a Garcia, you know, also found Evan Neal. And that, that was obviously a lot to work with as a first pick, but he still did it. And then went and got a Zudu. Then, you know, even, you know, as you work your way down with guys like Jamil Douglas, who have some can have some ability to kind of pick up the system quick. Maybe he saw something he likes there. You know, you look at even a Feliciano who has familiarity with the system, can compete there. Just give yourself a lot of options. Competition breeds better players. It gives you depth. It gives you situations you don't have to be where they were last year, which is like last year was the ultimate example of why. It never made sense for the Giants to go into last draft two years ago and be like, eh, we like our own line better than you do. We don't need it because you still needed a situation. You still needed depth for when those injuries occurred, like Nick Gates and like Shane Lemieux. So you didn't have to go and trade for, a, you know, a, a wash center from the Bengals who no one has signed since. Or you didn't have to go and trade for Bredesen and give a fourth round pick, which is like top 105 pick overall in the end, the top 110. You don't want to put yourself in that desperation spot where you're like worrying about and you have articles coming out like, 
oh my god, <laughs> what was the guy? Were the two guys who retired last year in August because they want to play for Joe and Joe Looney? Yeah, you're like, oh my god, Zach Fulton and Joe Looney retired. Like, who gives a crap? That should never matter to you. Like, no more will that ever be the case where you have to worry about those types of players retiring on you. It is wild that the Giants found themselves in that situation. A lot of it was their fault, but at the same time, it was just a confluence of things going against them. Shane Lemieux's injury, those retirements. Again, a lot of it was their fault, but it was like Murphy's Law. Whatever bad can happen will happen, and that's exactly what happened last year. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk about the linebackers, not the edges, the inside backers. How's it going to look this year, Nick? Because last year... Let's talk about what they did last year when Blake Martinez went down. What, what were your thoughts on how the Giants utilize, or how, yeah, how the Giants utilize their linebackers, snap percentage wise, role wise, without Blake Martinez, and how different that could look this year, not only with Blake but with the additions they've made. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So let's circle back to last season, go back to last training camp. Giants had Blake Martinez. We had no idea he was going to get injured. You had the second-year player named Tay Crowder, who showed some flashes in his rookie season. And then you had two players that we talked about on the Edge podcast a little bit, Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin. Carter Coughlin, the big talk last training camp was what, Dan? Hey, we're going to take this guy who was an edge rusher in college, who was an edge rusher primarily for us in 2020, and we're going to try to convert him to play linebacker. Well, you know, we saw a little bit of it early on, but then he ended up getting injured and he was done for the season. We didn't see him. Once Blake Martinez went down against the Falcons, it was like, all right, Tay Crowder, this is your role. Tay Crowder played just under 1,100 snaps for the Giants on defense. That's terrible. And he was one of the worst graded linebackers. And we'll go over Tay Crowder specifically, but he was one of the worst graded linebackers according to Pro Football Focus. He was out of position so much. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So the Giants had Reggie Ragland, who they signed. Reggie Ragland proved to be over the hill. So now you're kind of forced to have Tay Crowder, who is at least athletic enough to be out there. He's not going to be a liability from an athletic standpoint, but he's just not really there from a processing standpoint. So Giants tried to sign Benardrick McKinney, saw some flashes from him, but it didn't necessarily stick. And then they got Jalen Smith, who I felt like, yes, he's out of position a lot, 
but he's a better athlete than Tay Crowder. And I feel like he offers some interesting aspects as a quarterback spy. He can drop into coverage. He's pretty good in pursuit in terms of his angles and just like how explosive he can be kind of coming downhill. But that's kind of what the Giants did to replace Blake Martinez was Benardrick McKinney and Jalen Smith. And then Tay Crowder, I'm sorry, but it's it's all you. And then there was other injuries to Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown also kind of factor in to take away from what the Giants were doing. And also the Giants, I felt like did a solid job at least using Julian Love and some of those other secondary pieces, dropping them into the box. I feel like maybe if Jabril Peppers didn't get hurt early on in the season, we would have saw a little bit more, you know, dollar, big dime yeah. type of situations with Jabril Peppers in the box next to Tay Crowder or Reggie Ragland, depending on the situation. But since all of those injuries happened, Tay Crowder was forced into a role that was way too big for him last season. Yeah, and it's really interesting what you said. I think it's true. Their plan was not only foiled by Blake Martinez going down unexpectedly. It was also foiled by Peppers. They just didn't have the same personnel that they wanted, you know, that was available to them a year before to run some of the things they wanted to run and have different guys at that second level. What's interesting to me, Nick, is Tate Crowder was from the old regime. Like Joe Shane and Brian Dabes and, and Wink Martindale, they have no tie to him. I know he's played a lot of snaps, but I'm not so sure how much that matters to a new regime. I think right now it's going to be very dependent on what he can offer in their minds to this, you know, for this system and from a production standpoint and what the film he puts out in the preseason and in training camp, because ultimately it's a more crowded room than it's been. And linebackers are going to be utilized in different ways in this system. For sure. There may be a lot more, like you said, dime, there might be a lot more, you know, take a linebacker off the field and nickel. There's going to be a lot more of the sub packages, I think. And there were a lot anyway with Graham. Like in general, the NFL is just mostly a sub package league at this point. It's over 70%, I think, league wide. It was last year. But I think with with the extra usage of, of extra safeties, that will be, I think, a little more prevalent in this system. I, a lot obviously depends on how Dane Belton can come along, I think, because they don't have too much depth there. Or if they feel like they can move one of those guys that's been like a corner tweener to a safety spot they feel comfortable with, or maybe if like a Trenton Thompson can make, or Yusuf Corker can make a like run in camp, that could also help this. But if they're using more safeties on the field at once, less linebackers on the field, my thing is, is this, Nick, like this group, this linebacker core that's from a snap standpoint could look insanely different from last year. The guys you mentioned are two of the three guys you mentioned aren't even on the roster anymore and are not going to be playing any snaps. The third guy, Tate Crowder, who played a ton of snaps, I could foresee some scenarios where he's just like a, a bit player in this defense where it's mostly just Blake Martinez and then maybe Micah McFadden makes a run at it. Maybe Darian Beavers makes a run at it or somebody we're not expecting. I don't think it's a guarantee Crowder is going to play a lot of snaps this year. I don't know if it's a guarantee that Blake Martinez will even be like an every snap guy. That's why I find this linebacker. Why do you, I'm curious why you say that about Blake. Is it it's is just coming off? It's coming it, off. It's coming off yeah. the injury. That that's my okay. primary reason. Now, not he had, related. No, not necessarily. Okay. Now, I think Wink Martindale. We've talked about this. He employs a lot of different personnel packages, depending on what the offense is going to do. Depending on the offensive personnel, You'll, like we we talked about it several times. We've seen you know five outside linebacker personnel packages. You know, four safety personnel packages. So I think in those types of situations, we might not see Blake Martinez. Now, I feel like Blake Martinez is easily linebacker one. He's going to play on early downs. You'll see him on some passing downs. You'll see him blitz. I, I feel like he did all those things, I would say, solidly when he was in Patrick Graham's system, and it's more conducive to success now that you're with Wink Martindale. In terms of Tay Crowder, he's he's cheap. 
You know, he, he's a cheap player. And I think that's a big reason why you're going to see some Jay Crowder, why he's not getting cut. Yes, he's from the last regime, but this was Mr. Irrelevant. He's not getting paid anything, and he's not a total liability as an athlete. So I feel like you kind of put him out there and, and allow him to play this year, see what he has, and then you can move on from him once his contract is up because you're paying. And I think, I think even more importantly than that, Nick, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but he has it's cheap it's cheap experience right like he has actual snaps at the NFL level they know that all right well maybe the film's pretty ugly at times and last year dear god was it ugly at times but he's out there and he has experience and he can make he's not going to make mistakes because he hasn't seen things happen in front of him right like that's one thing they can guarantee for him that they can't guarantee for Micah McFadden or Darian Beavers right or even anyone on the roster that's been with them for years but hasn't played that amount of snaps so it's cheap experience which is valuable it is cheap experience, and I would like to say that that experience would result in less mistakes, but we saw like last year, week 18 against yeah, Washington. Yeah. I remember a play where Antonio Gibson w- was heading to the left and Tay Crowder just started flowing in that direction, abandoned his, his gap, and then Gibson cut back and Crowder got washed out of the play completely and it went for like a 20-yard touchdown Ooh. run. There are plays like that within Tay Crowder's tape that you're like, oh man, like that's that's just upsetting to see but at the same time with Tay Crowder there are plays where he shoots the gap where he processes it where where he's quick enough to diagnose and he comes downhill and he makes a nice tackle for a loss or a nice tackle at the line of scrimmage you also saw plays like that throughout his film so I don't want to make him like he is just the worst player in the world or anything like that I just don't think he should be a starting linebacker in the NFL he's wildly inconsistent he's too inconsistent to start and be a reliable guy as of right now can he develop into a more consistent player possibly that that's you know that could realistically happen but as of right now you don't want to rely on someone like Tay Crowder but I think the Giants are going to have to like if I had to pick the two linebackers who would start right now for the Giants and Rick Martindale system it's Blake Martinez and it's Tay Crowder but I also think that Micah McFadden and possibly Darian Beavers that one's going to be a, a little different because he's a different body type but Micah McFadden specifically will work into this defense i think he'll be used on passing downs because of his ability to come downhill his experience at indiana pressuring the quarterback which was something he did pretty damn well at indiana and it's interesting because he did have that injury earlier in the season which is generally a good thing because as you know he can come back from it and as far as i'm i can tell i'm going to take a look at it now because he's 28 years old which is not horrible as far as i can tell it was just the ACL. Like this is the problem sometimes when it's like the ACL and the MCL, like Barkley had like a million ligaments. And I know it's the same thing happening with Dobbins. He had the ACL and like two other parts of the knee were screwed up there. But as far as I can tell, it was just the ACL. It was what that Atlanta game. So it was like early, it was September. So that's not bad. Yeah. Week three. So that that's a good sign too. I think um, from that standpoint and I'm trying to find his injury history now, but it doesn't look like he's had any major injuries at any point of his career. Am I correct in saying that? Do you know by any chance? I'm trying to find it now. Um, I don't. Not in his NFL career. Yeah, not in his NFL career. So, I don't think he got hurt at Stanford either. Yeah. So again, so this is that that actually gives me a lot of hope, Nick, that he can, I, I, in some ways, play a full complement of snaps pretty early on. We've seen a lot of these just pure ACL guys recover fast, and I'm saying pure ACL when I say that, I mean not the MCL, not all the other crap that's involved when you really screw your knee up. Just a clean ACL tear, which is what it seems like this was. We've seen a lot of quick bounce backs from the clean ACL tear. Some people say, you, you know, your ACL is even stronger when it's, when it's that clean version of the ACL comes back even stronger. And so no injury history, still just 28. 
I would think that maybe he can hit the ground running. I'm not going to rule that out. And I'm not saying you are, obviously. But I, I feel almost a little bit confident about that. If they feel good about him and what he can do on the field from just an awareness and a coverage standpoint and being used in multiple roles, it makes me feel like they'll be quicker to turn to guys like Micah McFadden, even maybe a Darren Beavers, and kind of like a mix-and-match role at that second spot, not just kind of relying on Tate Crowder in that second spot. Because – I know you did say, you know, there's good plays, there's bad plays, it's inconsistent. I feel like it's it's pretty clear to me, at least, that it's been a lot more bad than good with Crowder last year when he was forced into a bigger role. Um, you know, not just, you know, I don't need to reference PFF for this. It obviously, it was like the lowest grade linebacker. But I think anyone who watches broadcast or the film can see that there's just it's just not all there for him. And I think ultimately, it's not that he's necessarily a liability on the field. I think he's more of a liability maybe in – it's not really like he's a liability in the run or the pass. I just feel like overall he's not really offering much there. The best thing I think he can offer them is a blitzer, personally, from what I've seen from Crowder's skill set. But ultimately, I don't even know if he can do that better than like a Micah McFadden or a Beavers if they're on the field. So I'd like to see them turn to McFadden and Beavers in that rotation role early. And ultimately, I, I, I'm hoping I, my optimal, you know, shakeout from this group is that they phase Crowder out to a very bit role uh, with McFadden, Beavers, and maybe whoever else can kind of step up playing that role. But of course, a lot of this depends on something you just mentioned, Nick, like this injury being clean for Martinez and him coming back into a full-time role, which the giants quite frankly need from him. Like we're excited about McFadden. But he's still a fifth round pick, right? Beavers, sixth round pick Crowder, seventh round pick that struggled at the NFL level. So we, we do unfortunately need a lot out of Blake early on right away. Yes. And another thing just to talk about snap share, this is Wink Martindale's defense. I talked a little bit earlier about the different personnel packages. Last year, Chuck Clark played the most snaps on the defense. He only played 16 games. He was the only one on that defense to crack over a thousand snaps. He had 1,023 snaps. The next was Tyus Bowser at 832 and then Patrick Queen at 826. And Patrick Queen, Tyus Bowser, they all played 17 games, yet they didn't crack over a thousand snaps that's another reason why is because wink likes to rotate get different bodies out there for different situations so that's another reason why we might not see blake martinez play over a thousand snaps next year that combined with the injury and all that kind of stuff so that's where i look at this depth chart though and i'm like okay you have tay crowder we kind of talked extensively about tay crowder and how he's hit or miss a little bit more miss then you got micah mcfadden and darian beavers carter coughlin cam brown and the Micah McFadden, Darian Beavers, I find that to be really fascinating in the sense that I, I feel like I know what McFadden's role will be here. And if he can prove that he can be more than just a pressure type of linebacker, then you will see him steal snaps from someone like yeah. a Crowder and get worked into the rotation a little bit earlier. But Darian Beavers, Darian Beavers tested really well at the combine. I don't think he's all that fleet of foot. I think if he was, you know, the strong side linebacker on a weak side outside run, it's going to take a lot for him to cut off that angle and get to the yeah. running back. But you can align this dude on the edge. He's a thumper when you put him in the middle of the field and, and on early downs. If you want him to fill the A or B gap or even the C gap, you can scrape over the top. He's very, very strong, strong hands, gets low for a bigger guy, has good pop on contact. I'm wondering, and I'm not even certain if he's going to make the team, but if he does make the team, what will his role be here with the New York Giants? Because I think he'll probably work his way onto the field. And I think with someone this versatile, big type of skill set, Wink Martindale could probably have a good time finding ways to use him. Yeah, I'm also I'm with you. I'm I'm pretty excited about what Beavers can do, just because, like you said, it's a versatile skill set. There's limitations, as you outlined so well, Nick, but they can work around that. They can scheme around that, and they can a good coach can use him in ways that will kind of accentuate 
the things that he does well. Like, I feel like that's even the case with a player like Crowder. I'm not high on. It's just when you do something like when you're in a situation like last year where he has to play every snap, you can't accentuate the good things and, and hide the bad. It's, it's all out there at once. And for Beavers, a player like that, you wouldn't want him all out there at once. Like you said, he would be, it would be a big liability on outside runs. But if you just have him thumping in the inside and the A and the B gap on those inside runs or use as a blitzer where I really think he could be interesting a very interesting player for the Giants as, as an additional blitzer. Um, not even just off the edge in the middle. That's what intrigues me. I'm curious to get your take on McFadden, though, with regards to what you just said, the ability to kind of play the outside run and scrape and just do different things that you think maybe Beaver might be more of a liability as in the run game. Let us let me ask you that from that perspective, Nick. Can McFadden do some of those things better in your mind? And then also, can he do some of the things? I want to hear your take on both of these. I'm sorry to ask them both at once. We'll just You can answer them one by one. That's the first thing. The second would be, can he do some of the things I thought Tate Crowder did such a poor job of last year, like diagnose, keying and diagnosing runs early and making the right decision on those runs and not over-pursuing like, and being out of position? Is that something he can do in the run game? Yeah, Michael McFadden... I feel like he's a good athlete. There were times on film where he had several missed tackles last season, and I felt like he would position himself in an advantageous way and then kind of take a shallow angle to like the near hip and kind of just fall off and like slide off. He had like 18 missed tackles last year, according to pro football focus. And a lot of those happened on the outside portions. Now, I think that can be corrected. I think he maybe have he might have to be a little bit more conservative when he's going into the tackle point. And I feel like he might have overestimated his athletic ability in those short areas at times. But overall, I do believe he is a, a solid NFL athlete, someone who won't be a liability, offers a little bit more than Beavers in those situations. But I did see in his film, and it was something that I wrote about at Big Blue View, that whenever he was kind of flowing outside, scraping over the top, taking the angle outside, he would take an initial good angle. And then once he got close to the tackle point, he would kind of make that angle a little bit more shallow, try to dive at the near hip and make a, his tackle attempt a little bit more difficult than it had to. And if he was going up against somebody really athletic, which you're going to be in the NFL, he would miss a lot of those tackles. And I feel like that's something that he can clean up a little bit. But in terms of his keying and diagnosing, yeah, I, I think he is probably a little bit further along than than Tay Crowder was. Now he was in a pretty pressure heavy type of defense that used his quick twitch ability to kind of come downhill and penetrate. So it's a little bit different than what we saw Tay Crowder operated. And I think we have to be fair and, and lay that out. But I believe there is potential there to to be better than be better and more refined than Tay Crowder is in terms of how he processes and how he reads blocks and where he can position himself to to force a stop and not allow the offense to get like, you know, a five, six, seven yard run. Yeah, it's interesting, Nick, because that was my takeaway when I watched Micah McFadden. There was like the early talk of like, oh, wow, this guy is very reminiscent of Leo Chanel, like a player that both me and you wanted for the Giants. Wow, I see a lot in him. And I was like, when I was watching him, I was like, well, I guess they're sort of alike in the sense they played in the same system type of system, really. Like those are very similar systems at Indiana, Wisconsin. And like you said, it looks a lot better as a keying diagnoser when you're asked to just kind of shoot gaps. And Leo Chanel talked about that last August. He's like, yeah, once they allowed me to just start picking and shooting gaps, I, I felt like I evolved as a player. But they're totally different. What I Where I noticed they were totally different was in the run game. And that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Because Leo Chanel is a better athlete, and he's much stronger and more physical. When he fits those runs, he really does, those tackles weren't shaking off. Those running backs weren't shaking off. And it wasn't missing tackles. He was connecting, he was completing, and he was getting the job done in the run game. That's an area where 
I'm actually more concerned with McFadden. I think his pass rushing skills can translate right away, and I think that's what really had the Giants excited about him, in addition to maybe some untapped, unpotential athleticism as somebody who drops in coverage. You know, we talked a lot yesterday about who are the Giants going to have dropping a coverage from that second group. We know they're going to have those types of blitz where a lot of guys are at the line of scrimmage. Some are dropping, some are blitzing. They're going to need guys to drop. Maybe McFadden can be that guy, but the run game is is where I have a little bit more concerns with him translating to the NFL level. But like I, that's where I thought the biggest drop off was from a prospect like a Leo Chanel to a McFadden. Yeah, Leo Chanel is much more of a dominant run defender. He's much stronger at the point of attack. He's a better overall athlete than Micah McFadden. Like you watch the Ohio State game with Micah McFadden. It, it wasn't his best outing. He wasn't always in the best position. He looked a little bit sloppy. It was a bad weather type of game. I think we said Micah McFadden is a poor man's version of Leo Chanel. And I don't mean that as a slight to McFadden, but I think that's probably the, the best way, at least judging off of their college film and the fact that they did play in similar systems, to look at those two players. Just because Chanel is a little bit of a better athlete, a little bit better against the run, and he's also you know a phenomenal blitzer. But I also think McFadden, who isn't necessarily you know a great in coverage, not the most fluid player, he's a little bit more fluid than Leo Chanel. So I wanted yeah, to also nice. give him a little credit on that. And, Just I, a and little I can bit see more. that. I could totally see where that's coming from, by the way, as well, which I think the Giants saw and like as well. And I think that will help them if he's somebody who can maybe flip his hips and drop in coverage. I don't know if that how much that's going to help him as a run defender, but definitely uh, from the pass coverage standpoint. Let's talk about, it's, it's still a very shallow unit, so I do want to talk about the overall, where the Giants are at inside back, or how we feel about that, and what our plan would be moving forward. But first, I want to talk about a couple of the other guys we haven't mentioned who could be competing for a role, potentially. It's Cam Brown and, Ca- and Carter Coughlin. And, 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 and on that note, do you think that any of the other players who are on in the se- listed at the second level now might be converted in camp, or do you think there might be somebody who they could add to the roster? I, I feel like this is a position that may not they may not be done at adding talent to. They're not done adding talent to. I think once yeah, cuts come shallow. around, the Giants will find players that they like and they'll sign them. You know, a la Quincy Roche. You know, the Giants weren't strong at edge last year. They invested a couple picks into it. It was a little bit of an upgrade. They found Quincy Roche and it ended up working out. I think the Giants are going to attempt to do that at the linebacker position. And like we said at the top of the show, I also feel like you're going to see Dane Belton in the box. You're going to see Julian Love in the box as a strong safety. You're going to see a lot of secondary pieces and safeties going down and dropping into the box and, and playing, you know, quasi linebacker type of roles. Yeah, for sure. And that's good. And that's going to be interesting as well, just to see how they're used differently. What are your thoughts on on those two holdovers? And, and I know we talked about them a little bit on the last podcast, so we don't have to go too deep on them. But just a- anything interesting for me there, those two in your mind? Well, I think one of them might not make the team. I think Cam Brown has an inside track, like we said last show, because of the special teams ability. But I think Carter Coughlin has a chance to prove, hey, I, you know, I developed as a linebacker. I can play linebacker in the NFL. But he has to prove it all in training camp. And this roster, man, there's going to be, you know, a, only a couple spots here up in the air. You're going to have like Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown, Tom and Fox, uh, O'Shane Zimenez, players like that all competing for a spot. And I don't know how many spots are going to be available for like those four players. It might only be like two spots available. And it's going to come down to who is the most versatile and who can provide a lot on special teams and things like that if they're not going to see the field as much as some of these players who are going to be used a little bit more. But as we've said previously as well, Dan, I feel like Wink Martindale is going to probably use all of the defensive personnel that he has. It's something that you didn't necessarily see unless the Giants were dealing with a lot of injuries with Patrick Graham. Like Nate, anytime Nate Ebner was on the field, we were like, this is terrible. Like we can't do this. Like this is horrible. I do not want to watch this. 
Whereas I think Cam Brown, if he makes this team, you might see some personnel packages with Cam Brown being used. So yeah, in terms of Carter Coughlin, he's going to have to prove, hey, I, I can play linebacker because if you look at this roster right now, you have the cornerback position, which is a little light in terms of proven depth as is the linebacker position. You have Blake Martinez coming off an injury, Mr. Irrelevant from two years ago, who is he's not shouldn't be starting in the NFL, and then two rookies. So if Carter Coughlin can be like, hey, I'm, I'm better than these two rookies, you might not want to cut those two rookies, but cut somebody else at another position and allow me to compete, and I'll also do X, Y, and Z on special teams. And that's Carter Coughlin's path to this roster right now. Very interesting stuff, especially on the, on the Brown front for me. Less so for me on Coughlin. I just don't see it personally, especially transitioning, but I always felt like when I watched Brown at Penn State, there was some value for him on the field, like on defense, not just the special team where he's been for the Giants. And we even saw it the first year, right? Like he had a couple of those packages where like, I think against the Seahawks, he had a nice pressure, forced the quarterback to cut, it went around the edge, forced the quarterback inside, led to somebody else getting a sack. I, I think he has some coverage, some ability to flip his hips and drop in coverage, surprising athleticism. I just kind of like the idea of him at the second level dating back to his Penn State days, and they used him so uniquely in that Penn State defense. It's like maybe there is some kind of way to just look at the role he had at Penn State on the field, figure out what he did well there, and just use him in that regard. Like Just those packages, because I really don't care if any of these linebackers, I'll be honest with you, Nick, there's not a single linebacker in this roster, save for Blake Martinez, that I think should be on the field for every snap. So I don't really care how they mix and match them, because to me, none of them deserve to be on the field over the others at this point. That includes Tate Crowder for sure. and so. I just would like to see them mix and match these guys. Like you said, there might be more talent to add to. I would say let's leave it on this, Nick. We can we can wrap it up here. How do you feel about this overall unit? And is this still something? I mean, we've been talking for years now about finding more more inside backers on day three to kind of take over. They sort of did that this year with McFadden. But they did. That's a good step in the right direction. Is this still a position you'd like them to invest more in? It is. It's a position that I'd like to like the Giants to invest a little bit more in. And I also think it's interesting just to see how linebackers have been used recently. The NFL, it's much more fluid. Micah Parsons drafted in the first round, right? That dude was an edge rusher for them. And we saw how just amazingly effective he was in that role. I feel like you're going to start to see more players like that who are linebackers in college, but they can offer something unique as a pass rusher. Micah Parsons is just crazy in terms of just how good and versatile he is. But you're going to see players that, can be used in a variety of different ways. And I don't know the college prospects too well right now, but I'm wondering if there's going to be a player like that, that the giants could add and he could be like a Edmonds type for the, for the giants defense at lob, like, like he was for the bills. Yeah, it's a great point because I think you look back at their draft history, they're going to be doing a lot of similar things, but Brandon Bean, and Joe Shane, they, you know, they grew up together. Joe Shane lived through him, learned through him. And more importantly, like it's a it's a blueprint he saw work. So like it's hard to want to stray away from what Buffalo did if you're Joe Shane, in my mind at least, because you're like, well, they did it a certain way, they stuck true to it, they didn't really bend from it, and it worked. So maybe I should do the same thing again as I do this on my own. And they did prioritize athleticism at that second level, like you said with Edmonds. That was a big investment they made. He was a young player, and it worked out for them. And then they found Matt Milano. Yeah, they didn't have to make a major investment in Matt Milano, but Matt Milano plays a huge factor in that defense. I love Milano coming out of BC, by the way. I remember tweeting about him. Just He was one of my favorite players in that class. I didn't understand why no one was in on him. I guess it's just like a size issue, and they just didn't think he was athletic enough. But they have two guys at that second level 
who really have made a difference on that defense. So I, I think this could be, I know it was never a priority under Gettleman. It really was never a priority under Jerry Reese either. But inside backer could finally be a, a priority for this new regime. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if, if the right guy falls into the spot where they take one in the next draft. And just a little tagline for Tremaine Edmonds. The dude is 6'5", 250 pounds, athletic, and he's still 24 years old. Right. This is somebody who was drafted in the first round 2018, same year they drafted Josh Allen at 16th overall. So kind of look at what Joe Shane did this year. We talked a lot about how he went after young players, players with athletic upside. In this case, somebody who was really big. Tremaine Edmonds, when he was drafted, he was like 20 freaking years old, you know, still growing into his body. So it kind of gives you a little glimpse of what Brandon Bean was thinking and how Joe Shane is applying similar principles. So if there is a player next year who is really good coming out of college, who has you know similar characteristics, 20, 21 years old, big, long type of player. I wouldn't be shocked if, if Joe Shane looks to add him to this defense to, to really just replace Blake Martinez and actually be that second-level defender that the Giants have so desperately needed for so long. Yeah, exactly. All right, that's all we have for today on the Inside Back. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We'll be back soon, breaking down the secondary. Have a great rest of your week, and go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.